Welcome to the Football Fives. My name's David Hartrick and this week there are three of us. Dan is busy working so I'm left with my colleague on the left, Ryan Keeney. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Dave. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. And my colleague on the right, Christopher Nee. How are you, Chris? All good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad at all. Uh, We've decided to fix football. We've given ourselves a, a reasonably broad subject, but after moaning for 120, how many episodes, Chris? 123 prior to this one. 123 prior to this one, we've decided that we may as well just go and change some laws and actually make the game better. So, usual format out the window, what we've gone with this week is basically we're each of us is going to propose five laws we think would pretty much instantly make football better. Uh, So, law change number one, Ryan Keeney. Um, I'm not convinced we need 90-minute games anymore. Um, And I I say this as somebody that gets a a little bit fed up with time-wasting. There's there's two types of time-wasting in my mind. There's the the time-wasting where the ball is run to the corner and players use a, a certain element of skill on their bodies to stop the opponents from touching the ball. And it's kind of stopped there and it, it wastes a few seconds. That time-wasting, I have no problem with. It's a time-wasting where corner, or free kicks take 10 seconds to be taken rather than five. And throw-ins take 10 seconds to be taken rather than five. And goal kicks, for example, suddenly have to be walked to the other side of the six-yard box before the, the player can restart. So I think that a system 30 minutes each way or, or 35 or whatever it is, but with the clock stopping when the ball goes out of play to kind of have a, a countdown um, is something that would make football slightly better. I think it would it would change the style of play of some teams. I think it might encourage a little bit more uh, possession football and, and there'll be less... Um, there basically be less uh, kind of shenanigans when somebody's holding on to a 1-0 lead with, with 10, 15 minutes to go um, or rolling around injured or, or doing all of that. Um, that I think it's a, it's a way to go. It would also remove all of the puff and puff about injury time when goals going in injury time should 30 seconds be added on, all of that. Um, you don't need to worry about that either. Um, stop the clock when the ball goes out of play. 30 minutes each way, let's get on with it. There's a bit of a movement towards this, isn't there? This is something I know um, Gabriel Marcotti is actually quite in favour of as well. And I must admit... I, I can't see any reason why we're not doing it myself, to be perfectly honest with you. It seems reasonably common sense-ish. But, you know, and I say that as somebody who is against change in any form, in any aspect of life. So, uh, Chris, rule change number two from your good self. 
Uh, I'm going to the penalty spot uh, to, to get the easy one out of the way first because this is something I've spoken about on this show before um, and is easy to fix and really very annoying. So I would have on penalty kicks, if you're taking the, the kick, you make a clean run up and you take the shot or you can see the free kick and get booked. Um, the, the stuttered run-ups... The legal versions of the stuttered run-ups, they annoy me almost as much as the very infrequently spotted illegal checking of the run. Um, so I, it's just one of those things that seems very easy to spot and very easy to fix. And there's just this um, this belief that it's okay because it's within the laws of the game. Um, and sometimes when that's the situation, the solution is not to just accept that it's okay to stagger your run up, but that the laws should be changed. Uh, it's it's been interesting lately. Anyway, this is what I would have first for this in in pretty much any version of this podcast. Um, but Hume Win Son put it back in the spotlight, didn't he recently? Mm. Um, and I I just I cannot believe the number of people who think that penalty against Rochdale was okay. He stopped, and that even the current mm. rule covers that so I, I think the the right outcome was was reached in that situation according to the laws of the game as they stand now um, but people who think that that was the wrong decision with all the VAR stuff thrown into it as well um, to try and explain to them why I think that even if he had continued his forward motion it shouldn't be allowed um, would be a difficult ask I think and it's one of the the, the situations where if we have the conversation reopened about it all now, then I'm quite happy to sit here and, and ask why we should allow the taker to dummy, faint, check his run in any way. There's there's, there's no reason to be allowing a fake within that run-up. So I would just outlaw it and the issue goes away because simple grey areas to remove, not always, but very often, should be removed. I I I don't disagree because I think uh, all three of us have talked on a previous podcast about how far penalties are weighted towards the striker taking the penalty and that the the goalkeeper is so up against it and often it's not the goalkeeper who's committed the offence that uh, yeah I I I'm not against that either. Which is quite interesting because I was expecting to come on this podcast and disagree with you. Mm. Uh, but my first rule change is also something I've talked about on this podcast, um, which is handball within six feet, just drop it all together. Unless there is a deliberate and clear movement of the hand to the ball to physically stop the ball, just stop it. Can't possibly be handball. I'm absolutely sick to death of seeing wingers work a good position and get a cross in just because a defender's having to put himself off balance by wrapping his hands behind himself mm. because he's petrified of giving away a penalty if he gets the ball blasted at him from four feet. And I just think it's such a common sense thing on any area of the pitch. And as somebody who has played a lot of, a lot of football, not to any standard, but played a lot, you know, if somebody kicks a ball at you from six feet away... If you can move your hand in a deliberate action and stop it, yeah, that's 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 pretty decent reaction speed. Yeah, do you know who we don't ask about this enough? Goalkeepers. Yeah, 
yeah. And that's that's the thing. This is what goalkeepers are. They train all their life to do, and this is what the very best ones can do absolutely superbly. You know, I just don't think... I, I don't think a fullback. it should be... They should be worrying about defending a situation properly and not sticking their arm behind their back just in case it hits their hand. It just seems to be an absolute nonsense. But, does, um, does the word deliberate help to cover this within the way the law should be applied already? I don't think we, we we don't do deliberate properly, do we? No, this you see this is my this is the other big thing with handball that like you were just saying about gray gray areas. Handball at the moment is quite a big gray area because quite simply if you put your hand deliberately towards the ball then it's handball, but the the issue is that so many refs are now giving the jumping up to stop a cross coming in where it hits somebody on the back of the arm who is not looking at the ball and who is turned completely away and they are giving it as a free kick and a, a free kick or a penalty and I just I can't get on board with that the at unnatural all. position yeah if you've if you've got your hand in an unnatural position or if you try to cover that position with your hands sprayed out at your side trying to make yourself a bigger target then that's handball but if you're just trying to defend a situation you know if you're just trying to get across to a man and he takes the opportunity to cross it early and it hits your hand it's nothing you can do about that <laughs> you know it's it's it just seems to be a nonsense so right three laws in three aspects of football completely sorted well done lads uh, ryan rule number two um uh no more individual awards um Except man of the match. <laughs> Decent. Uh, I, uh, which is a, a big caveat, I admit. But football is a team game, and this. I mean, I've already started thinking preaching. I'm, I'm going to keep getting, I think, preacher with with some of these. But uh, yeah, football is a team game. It is won by eleven players, and yes, there are brilliant players in different teams. Uh, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo are undoubtedly the best players in the world and, and have been for the last 10 years, comfortably, if not longer. They don't need individual awards and it is to, to the detriment of, of their teammates that they get these awards and, and they've become this thing. And this there's a, there's a little part of this feels like we're shouting into the void because, again, we, we talked about this on podcasts before and, and shows where... We talk about how the, the superstar is, is becoming more of a thing and, and people are becoming a little bit uh, obsessed isn't quite the word, but they're pinning them they're pinning their colours to players in their teams rather than the team and and even becoming fans of, of a player or um fans of, of where they go and, and that happens more we're seeing that more internationally and, and people are fans of Messi and Ronaldo first and if they move clubs they would potentially move their allegiances to, to follow them. Football doesn't need individual awards, and and I think it hurts the game a little bit to to put a lot on this and and to try and boil things down to a, a superstar player or a, a three tremendous players. So, man of the match, I think is great to say right, you were well done, you were the uh, the best player in in that particular game. Um, you've you've scored a hat trick, whatever you've you've made a telling contribution. After that, I'm I'm not that fussed. Player of the month, manager of the month. Um, player of the season, manager of the season, young young player of the year, all of that kind of stuff, um, I think can be done without. 
team of the season can get on board with that a little bit. Um, and and there is, some of that is individual recognition, but it's basically saying you've been the, the outstanding player in your position and, and better than the, all of the 19 players that, that played there regularly. Uh, but yeah, individual awards, great on me a little bit. I've played as a striker most of my life, and I live <laughs> for individual awards. That's but you score goals, Dave. So, no, it's what I'm about. I, I, no. I, I am such a striker that if we lose 5-1 and I've scored the goal, <laughs> I've done my job. Yeah. What were you lot doing, quite frankly? So, uh, Chris, your second rule change. Yeah, I'm the same. I used to love a top goal scorer award. Um, I was... I was a plodding left back, as we've discussed before. So, I'm all about the team. Yeah. Ah, oh, poor Ryan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you? There's, the Sphinx have to uh, name the opposition man of the match every game. That's always entertaining. Uh, the lad who got sent off, the goalkeeper who let a mistake in. You know. <laughs> um, I am. I'm going for the Brexit of football opinions. I'm afraid. Uh, offside is offside. This is about grey areas again. Uh, this is the, the 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 twin grey area to the handball debate, um, but I'm I'm going with it anyway. The offside rule has uh, become quite complicated, but at its heart is an absolute simplicity. It involves a ball, an imaginary but specific line at the second to last defensive player, and the moment the ball is played. That is basically it in the halfway line, if you want to be fussy. Um, VAR is going to police that line and that moment and the combination between the two to the millimeter and the millisecond. So it's going to get incredibly tedious. So I think this it's worth having a look at whether we remove all of the other doubts around it, um, all of the interfering with play, all the attempting to play the ball, phases, all of that stuff. I think I'm I'm not 100% in on this, but I think there's a case to consider whether we just have a, a a rule where players have to stay on side, or when the ball is played, they are offside, and that is your responsibility. It removes the tactical element, it removes the, the having a little bit of a cheat element, and it just allows offside to be about that moment, which potentially helps to make the VAR decision and indeed the linesman's decision a little bit clearer. Mm. Changes the game. This is, it's, it doesn't yeah. sound much. This is a fundamental change to the game. No. Yeah. I, I I remember when the, uh, the the current iteration of the offside rule was brought in and Cristiano Ronaldo was at Madrid and threw a strop um, in the penalty area of the opposition. Pick, like took ages picking himself up and by the time he picked himself back up the defensive line was 30 yards in front of him up the pitch Real Madrid then won the ball back the ball broke down the right to Mesodozel and he scampered down onto it but because Ronaldo was in such a prime position Ozil basically crossed the ball into a guy that was unmarked in the box because nobody had got back in time which is just a bit of a nonsense mm. I, I think you could almost do a show on the offside rule I think it's mm. I I'm not a hundred percent convinced. You're right, Chris. If I'm completely honest, I, I have but no I idea also... what the uh, the actual consequences of that would be. 
but I'm also not 100% convinced that the iteration we've got at the moment is perfect by any means either. Um, and it's interesting, I've had the opportunity this season to be at a lot of Premier League games where I work, um, and there's a very there's quite a broad spectrum of difference from linesman to linesman over the interpretation of active and non-active and it's yeah yeah i'm not sure your i'm not sure your rule change sorts it completely but i'm i'm not against it i'm not against trying something else yeah the, the um, one that upsets me is uh, a player in an offside position and a teammate plays the ball in his direction will generously label it and it takes a a, a flick on from a defender hmm. that, well, that, <laughs> that player to me and it's up for debate that player should be offside when the ball's kicked yeah the other thing I've seen more than one instance of is this interpretation where player is walking to get back on side ball is played in his direction so he leaves it player goes belting onto it behind him mm. as soon as that player touches it the Everyone's player who side. was in an offside position immediately turns and starts racing for the box cross comes in and he's there he's stolen a march on the defenders and he's there for the tapping and you think well <laughs> you know active or non-active it doesn't seem right that you can still gain an advantage from being in an offside position so, yeah, not sure on that one. Um, my rule number two is that all freestylers should be put to death. No, not really. Um, I, Talking I would, musicians or footballers? Huh. Uh, I hate football freestylers. It has absolutely nothing, to, absolutely nothing to do with football. It is, it is to football what frisbee golf is to the Ryder Cup. But anyway, that's another story. Um my rule number change number two, get rid of the transfer window. Any transfer done from January to June has to go to a panel who deem it whether it's completely necessary or not. And when I say necessary, I'm talking about emergency loans for keepers, etc. Meaning no more Harry Redknapp bringing in Ravel Morrison on an emergency loan because he fancies it. No more going and pinching other clubs' best players in, you know, in January, unless it's completely justifiable. I I think the transfer system is fundamentally broken anyway, but there is no way football can operate without a transfer and loan system. But this, this sort of, these arbitrary windows, to me, just make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I think just let companies do their business up until the end of December... And then after that, you've got six months where if you haven't got your squad right and you're looking to bring somebody in, you can bring them in if there is a reason for doing it. If there is a, you know, a hole that needs filling, it, what it stops is people just bringing players in on a whim. And if you're going to play a hoard, that's absolutely fine. But you're only going to have six months of the year where you can sign players because woe betide you if you try and do anything after that. Um, but yeah, I just I don't think the transfer windows work. I hate the I hate what the transfer windows have become. I hate the little ticker on Sky Sports News. I, I just hate everything about it. So just break it down. 
six months to do transfers, six months without, uh, except, you know, unless it goes to a committee and a committee say, well, yeah, that's fair enough. I think you've been very rude about Jim White there. Um, Would you, would you extend that to the loan system? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think if I was on the committee, I'd be looking at it from the point of view of, A, is this an emergency loan? If so, and it's a genuine emergency, no problem whatsoever. Uh, B, is this a player who is going to go to that club and actually get some game time? Yeah, that's absolutely fine, no problem. But what it, what I don't want to see is these these loans to championship clubs where the players just never play. And it, it's... The, the whole... I mean, we've spoke about the transfer and loan system before. It doesn't work. It's broken. You can blow a million holes in both systems and that's barely scratching the surface. So I think you've just grabbed the ball by the horns. This is what you have to work with. If you don't like it, tough. Yeah, I don't necessarily dislike that. I think it's... I'm I'm picking on West Ham a little bit here uh, just because it jumped into my mind as you were talking about that. But when they were coming up from the championship like the their January transfer window they brought in like the most ridiculous set of strikers and basically had like so many strikers but one of them I think it was Nicky Maynard that they went and pinched from one of their rivals or Reading uh, I think came from Reading yeah but it just it was one it was like they were it was Allardyce just kind of strengthening them because he knew he didn't quite have enough players and there was a little part of they just went out and threw money at people and, and couldn't be refused. And it, yeah, it, it is arbitrary times. It, it doesn't fall in the middle of the season for the Premier League, so it doesn't really make sense that way. Um, like half the season's gone and, and then people panic and go out and, and do weird things. It's just, yeah, the, the system as it, it exists at the moment doesn't work. It's yeah. being changed though, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't, I, you know, I don't really see a massive positive benefit from that. No, well, it's, it's, I, it's a matter of a couple of weeks in reality, the difference, but it's, it'd be interesting to see how it works out at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah. Well, all, all, I mean, I again, I'll save it for another podcast, but I have an idea how it's going to work out before the start of the season. Anyway, Ryan, <laughs> rule change um, number three. Change number three. I'll shove mine around as I... Um, wanted to talk about putting a maximum time limit on contracts in football um, which is a, a little bit similar to this that the idea that you can sign a player to a six year, five year a six year deal on whatever wages just is a little bit silly and puts a little bit too much power into the kind of into the clubs and then they're able to hoard players and, and um, hoard assets and, and try and, and make ridiculous amounts of, of money and transfer fees are going up up and, and up which um we you know isn't fun so i'm uh yeah i think whether it's i think three years sounds relatively reasonable and and if this was to come in and say that every contract had to be three years you would see a lot more deals being renewed and and players would they'd probably get less as signing on fees but they would more probably make more in in terms of salaries and um, the money would go to the players rather than necessarily the clubs and there'd be less £200 million signings as, as the player or the asset wouldn't be worth as much as them over the long term. And yeah, just something to kind of reset a bit of a balance. There's £200 million for... All right, 
admittedly is, is one player, but we've seen in the last 12 months like three or four transfers, five transfers over £80 million, which is just obscene amounts of money. It's not real money, um, just swishing around between clubs, which, and they don't need that. that. That money should be going into either the players' pockets or it should be going to helping out in the community, helping grow that club, helping grow the, the support that they have and, and everything around it. It shouldn't be swashing around and, and eventually trickling down into the, the pockets of the agents. Don't think all agents are necessarily all bad and, and they do an important role for standing up for the rights and, and protecting the players, but it, it is skewing massively to a top two or three who seem to have connections in all the right places. And if you want to play for certain clubs, you've got to be a, a client of a certain agent or super agent. Um, so let's uh, start with maximum length of contracts and see how we sort things out. Yeah, I think that's... I'm I'm very much on board with that, Ryan. I think that the, the more money that goes to the players themselves and the less to agents and, you know, just sits in these imaginary pockets in football, I think the better. Chris, rule Tra- change number three. Yeah, transfer reform is very important. Um, I think... We is it fair to say we haven't as football yet cracked the head injury thing? Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's not yeah. not a problem in football, Chris. Yeah, well, <laughs> there seems to be a few people who still think that that's the case. Um, we have uh, it's the US this week, haven't they? They're, they're talking about not having heading in in football at youth levels, um, which is one one version of of uh, an approach to fixing it, which is worthy of discussion in its own right I think but it's it's our inability to um, walk the walk when it comes to a Saturday afternoon that I, I find frustrating about this we are now talking a very good game when it comes to head injuries and concussions in football um, but when it comes down to it the number of times where you see um, a, a, a player who really you know with, without being close enough to give a medical assessment of it, you just know either shouldn't be going back on or more time should be taken over the decision. And it's mm-hmm. the time taken over the decision that's my my third rule change. Um, because I, I think we need to start taking football head injuries as seriously as we pretend to. Um, and, and a part of that involves taking that time to assess them. Um, and that needs to happen at pitch side just as it does anywhere anywhere else so the the challenge uh is to try and remove some of the incentive for rushing uh the player back on and there are real reasons for that you know your best player goes down with a head injury um and says he's okay you're going to get him back on and that's not necessarily the right approach so my proposal would be that uh should the team's medical staff decide to do it and that is absolutely crucial piece of information in here um, the substitute who would come on can come on and then be switched back if the, the injured player is, is deemed after a proper assessment to be okay. It removes the power play and shorthanded imbalance that comes with a lengthy medical assessment at pit side. It allows the, the, the team to have a proper look at the player no matter how important he may be and how much they may want to get him back on absolutely takes the decision out of the manager, coaching staff and players' hands. They have a proper look. Mm -hmm. They stay at 11 men while it's happening and they don't lose the player if he's deemed to be all right. To me, this is really simple. Yeah, and (laughs) 
again, it's common sense, isn't it? It's it's common sense, and football is doing that thing at the moment where it's wanting to ignore it, and then it's going to have a problem with it that it has to deal with it at some point. And yeah, I again, I can't think of a logical argument against that, Chris. That's the thing. Um, my third rule change is quite simply, and again, this is the striker in me talking. No yellow cards whatsoever for celebrations of goals unless they are deliberately aggressive or deliberately deliberately provocative. The idea that in 2018, with football the product it is, bear in mind the amount of things that are bolted onto it in terms of people making money from it, in terms of the the hype, in terms of television channels, everything else... The idea that a footballer can still get a yellow card for taking his shirt off when he celebrates a goal is, to Mm. me, just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Because you have to sort of think, well, if that's a yellow card offence, that also equates to putting in a really hard challenge, telling a referee to to fuck off once. You know, these these are the things that are sort of being held as an equivalent level as taking your shirt off. And the other thing I've seen this season a couple of times is celebrations where players have gone into the crowd, into their own fans. I haven't got a massive issue with that, as long as there's no safety issue, as long as they're not going to, you know, the away fans and wind them up. I think, again, it's just mealy-mouthed, just, it, it's, it, there's no place for it. It's just sucking the life out of something that should be enjoyable and we've already got VAR to do that we don't need referees booking players for celebrations to do that as well so I I just I can't see why in 2018 it's even a thing to be perfectly honest with you so get rid of that overnight and I don't if you disagree with that you're wrong (laughs) Uh, Ryan rule change number four um, so I don't know necessarily which direction I want to go with this, but we need to look at the size of the goals. Um, Little goalkeepers, that's the direction I want to go. Okay. Shea given to playing goal for every team. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need bigger goals. Um, bigger? Yeah. Right. No? I, 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 I'd love to be there right with you. <laughs> On this one, but at the moment I'm not. So you might need to show your work in here. Yeah, go on, popcorn.gif. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't really have any other other than kind of just, you know, deciding that we need bigger goals. More um, goals. Things, yeah, more <laughs> more goals, basically. Um, it's it's a bit a bit easy for goalkeepers to save shots nowadays, isn't it? They're uh, they're all pretty impressive human beings. Um, pretty fine specimens of of men, um, and I, I mean I haven't totally thought this one through, um, as I was trying to save a relatively coherent point for last. Uh, so I've crowbar this one <laughs> in for it. Have you um, have you ever looked into the numbers for this, Ryan? Um, Absolutely in terms of not, the, no. the development of uh, number of goals scored over a season, for example. I mean, we are going up. But then uh, Jose Mourinho arrives into the Premier League and it dips back down again, um, as he seems to generally just kill attacking football in every 
league he was in. It, it, like, it, it's funny, you, it, you can see where he joined Chelsea initially and it drops average numbers and then went back up when he disappeared off around Europe. But no. I think we have Not an alternative any... rule here. Do you think this should be smaller? No, I, I think Mourinho should not not be allowed. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. fine. I uh, I am not on board at all with that, Ryan. To fine. be honest, that for me is like, well, I, you know, I think you're right. I think goalkeepers aren't getting are getting better, but I mean, what what do we do? Just increase them by a foot every time we think. David De Gea has got a little bit better <laughs> every hundred years. Yeah, yeah. I just, it, yeah, it it just feels like the size of an. In general, I think the kind of the size, length, width, and everything of football pitches in general and and goals have been the same for a while. Um, almost let's... as if if it ain't broke. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, <laughs> you could say that about this whole podcast, really, couldn't you? Um, with, but just you know, let's just, let's just have a little think about it because players are getting fitter, stronger, faster. Um, why isn't everything just just eked out a small little bit and really mess with all those stadiums and ask them to uh, just make the pitches a little bit longer, a little bit wider? Chris, have you got a rule change that isn't complete nonsense? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> do you remember the the goal that was developed by uh, pretend Frank Clark for Jason Lee in the nineties? Uh, oh, that infamous! Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, the the that. less said about that, the better. Yeah. yeah, true. The goal was funny though. Um, yeah, the less said about the rest of it, the better. I'm I'm saying death to the yellow football for my my next one. Uh, back in the olden days, uh, footballs were white. They hadn't always been white, but they were white, and it worked. Um, and when it snowed, they played with an orange ball because snow is not orange, or close to orange, it's white. And about 10 years ago, I think, uh, it was about 10 years ago that they, they decided, they, <laughs> the footballs decided that <laughs> instead of this uh, eminently sensible approach, we should instead play through the winter period with a yellow ball, regardless of the weather, um, at least in the Premier League, but certainly filtered down in England as well. Um, I think... And I'm 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 arguing against myself a little bit here, but I think there are technical reasons beyond the basic colour of uh, ground and ball uh, why a yellow ball is more, a yellow ball is more easily visible um, in in winter, uh, which is why none of us could ever see that white ball on that green pitch. Uh, <laughs> but I, it's uh, it's topical at the moment. On Saturday, I watched two football matches in full on blizzard conditions insofar as we get them in England. One of them in person and one of them on television. Now, they both, in whiteout conditions, both began with a white ball on a white pitch in a white atmosphere. Um, because it's not winter anymore. So the yellow ball wasn't out because we'd switched, <laughs> we're now in March and we're back onto the white ball. So we started those games with white balls. Insane. The match I was at, the snow eased off. It was a 3G. The snow melted really quickly. The green pitch reappeared, no problem. At the championship game I watched on the TV, the yellow ball came out. And the yellow ball in the snow is pissing useless. Yeah, it's useless. 
I had a similar experience at Huddersfield uh, Town versus Palace uh, on uh, Saturday. It's completely useless. I can't see it. Yeah. And it, again, it's one of them things. Orange worked. Orange was absolutely fine. Why overthink it? <laughs> Why overthink it? Why? There is no... I don't care what scientific reason you can give me that yellow is like easier to see in winter. We all know not to eat yellow snow. <laughs> Just use an orange football. It's it's it cures it in a breath, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's it's. I've never been a fan of the idea that we just have a yellow ball, but it's, it's been so long since I've seen a football match that got played on a white pitch that I don't think I've ever seen it happen, really. But to, for it to happen so late in the year that I watched these two matches start with white balls on Saturday when both pitches were covered in snow and it was snowing, just really brought home how crazy it is that we don't just have, oh, it's snowing, let's play with an orange ball. Yeah, it's it's. I'm completely there with you, Chris, on that one. Um, my rule change number four, uh, no kit restrictions in international football, in, in tournament football, competitive football. This... Stupid idea that FIFA came up with that, you know, if you've got a white shirt, you should wear white shorts. If you've got a blue shirt, you should wear blue shorts. It's just... Get in the bin. Yeah, yeah. it's just meddling. It doesn't It doesn't need to happen. There is no, There is no advantage whatsoever to be gained. And I think, if I remember correctly, I think the original justification was to do along the lines of identifiability, so that basically they wanted, uh, you know... Your your international team should play in all white. Your international team should play in all orange. Your international team should play in all red. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it it doesn't matter. Each international team's international colours are set. It's not like you know Brazil are this this year. They're going to wear a purple shirt at the World Cup. Remarkably, you know, n- next year they might wear an orange one. No, they're going to be in yellow. It doesn't matter what colour the shorts and the socks are. So get rid of that right now, right now. And it would make the World Cup, I reckon, about 30% better. And I reckon you could scientifically prove that. Uh, Ryan, (laughs) your last rule change. Sin bin. Um, Oh, controversial. Yeah. All right, well... That, Just noticed a little chill in the air from the northerly direction there. Did yeah, that that there was a yeah there was a sigh there from both of you. I think um, there are some offences in football, and and I will start this by saying my man Marco van Basten is is in sort of agreement with me in his his new role as technical officer at FIFA or whatever. He's been oh, looking at this and, and curveball, Dave. Thinks mm, my mate Marco. I've met him. Um, I've definitely touched him. Um, so I've met know. Michelle Gale, mate. We we all <laughs> know people. <laughs> I've met him at FIFA headquarters. Did you meet Michelle Gale? At- no, I met her in Visage in Huddersfield, but it's similar to FIFA headquarters. So it, I think we there would need to be a discussion around the type of offences that would go into this. Um, but sometimes. 
it feels like a, a red card is a little bit too harsh and a yellow card is not quite harsh enough that Simbin's 10 minutes, deliberate handballs, for example, um, those kind of in-between tackles, um, things that you need to kind of get a telling off for. You need a bit of a cool down. 10 minutes on the sidelines and then on you come, um, carry on. It feels like teams should get a small advantage for things. Cynical tackles, stuff like that, where they're trying to shut down the game. Let's see how cynical you can be when you've uh, you've cost your team your play for seven odd minutes. Um, I think Simmons might just work in football. Uh, I I don't know, Ryan. <laughs> I don't know. I funnily enough, I'm not actually against an orange card, whereby. If you pick up an orange card in a game, uh, then you stay on in the game, but you perhaps automatically receive a fine or autom- even automatically miss the next game. And if you go from an orange to a red, you get an automatic three-game ba- game ban, for instance. But it's just logistically with sin bins. I just, I don't know. I don't see. I don't see how you can practically make it work. How do you envisage it working, Ryan? I mean, you get Simbind, you go and sit on the side of the pitch and the fourth official tells you when you're allowed back on. But do you come on while play's ongoing? Because, you know, if you come on to a certain area of the pitch and the the ball's there, then you could technically gain an advantage if, you're, if your team's on the counter. Do you have to wait till the ball goes dead? What's the time period? Because it oh, seems yeah, completely well... arbitrary. What happens if you get, <laughs> you know, what happens if you get four players who commit the same level, a sin bin ball offence on the same team in the same ten minute period. Fine, is it an actual bin? Man. <laughs> it's an it's a big. It's sponsored, so it's an actual skip. I, I <laughs> the thing is, Ryan. I think you're. I think you are addressing a problem. I actually completely agree with you that there is a level of offence that lies between a yellow card and a red card. Yeah, Jamie Vardy. but I do I completely agree with you there Ryan but I'm it's the practical side of sim binning that I just can't get my can't get my head round at all and I think it's logistically it's a minefield absolute minefield fair I mean yeah there there would be technologies that would worked out I think you'd come back on as if you were an injured player gone off the pitch and you would uh, you'd have to kind of wait to be Back and back on, um, but yeah, I think there's there's an element in this. That I think there's there's a, a a gray area around some offences that something needs to be kind of figured out with. Chris, that was better, by the way, Ryan. You redeemed <laughs> yourself a little bit there. I think Thanks. you should go, Dave. Me? Yeah, fair enough. I'm going around. Now. I did some hashtag engagement. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, right, well, mine's a biggie. Mine's a biggie, Chris. I've saved my biggest tell last. If you have more than a 5% ownership stake in a football club at any level, then you should mandate... Mandat- I don't even know how to say the word. Lawfully, <laughs> you should have to attend 75% of that team's games. And if if... The the fine for not doing so should be vast. It should be 
half of what you've invested in the club. And the reason is because absentee ownerism is hurting football. It's actively hurting football. Ask Blackburn fans. And that's just the first one that comes to the top of my head. Ask Arsenal fans. Ask, you know, they're, they're, it's at all levels. And if you own a football club, you should have to take responsibility for the thing that you own. You should have to be there, good, bad or indifferent. You should have to be there and see what the fans are saying. So I go to Huddersfield Town uh, for work regularly and they absolutely love their owner this season because they've got into the Premier League. They've got several chants that are just about him. And that's brilliant while times are good. But when times are bad, you've also got to be there. So, you know, if you're Stan Kroenke, I'm sorry, but you shouldn't be offering opinions over Skype. If you if you own something, if you, you're invested in something and you're making a return of any level from something, you should have to be involved. And I don't think you can force people to go and work somewhere five days a week, but you should go to the games. And 75%, I think, is a reasonable level because everybody has illnesses, etc., reasons they can't go and all that sort of thing. I understand that. I'm not saying you have to be there home and away, but 75% is a a perfectly reasonable level to go and watch the thing that you own. And, you know, if you end up getting pelters because you're not doing your job properly, tough shit. It's just the way it is. And then I think that level of personal investment in having to go there and having to experience it will change the profile of an ownership's owner's involvement in the club. It will change how they deal with things. and It will change their own perceptions of what's going on. And I just I can't I can't see any logical reason how anybody could argue against that. So I told you it was a biggie. It is a biggie. And that's that's you know I I I will believe that should be the case until the day I die. So there you go. Anything that takes a chip out of the utter nonsense that is club ownership is a good thing. Yeah. And as I said, the idea that a bloke can live in one country and own a football club in another and do nothing but take money from it. I mean, the ultimate example are someone like the Glazers who Mm. have, have completely disenfranchised so many Manchester United fans because they don't have to attend any games. They don't have to sit there and deal with the thing that they've actually bought and are making a return from. And that, to me, seems incredible. Absolutely incredible. I I just I can't get my head around that at all. So, immediately, we should be saying, this is how it is. If you want to own one of our football clubs at any level, you will attend 75% of the matches, including away games. And that's just the way it is. And if you don't like it, you don't get involved with football. And I tell you what, I think that would immediately, immediately become almost a fit and proper person's test. Because anybody who knows it's going to go the wrong way or they're getting into it for the wrong reasons are not going to go and want to face the fans 75% of the games they play each season. So can't see any logical reason not to do that. 
Uh, Chris, so you've done some crowdsourcing. Done some so... crowd- yeah, I've, I've given up doing things in fives for Lent, so I asked people on Twitter instead. <laughs> yeah. I asked my peeps. Um, so, we'll, yeah, we'll rattle through them. Uh, Praben wants effective playing time, two halves of 35 minutes, had that. Uh, Nick would introduce a yardage penalty for descent, which we've had before, but he'd go for five yards instead of 10, because 10, it's a, it looks a long way when you get a, a, a bit of lip um, that results in a free kick being moved that distance, doesn't it? Um, Jörg wants proper uh, financial fair play rules throughout football, including non-league. Tick for me. Um, uh, Jason, who on, on this evidence is a genius, uh, says you should have to appeal for a goal like you'd appeal for a wicket, uh, thus <laughs> killing the non-celebration celebration. Winner all around that one. Uh, Jamie Allen, Dave agrees with you that we should do away with bookings for celebrating the crowd. Um, Gregory Michael, get your view on this, you two, wants five substitutions. I'm not against that at all. Mm. I, I, um, the way, if you think about the pace and the energy expended in modern football, I'm not against that at all. And I think you, you should do it immediately tomorrow for um, any game that's played over a certain temperature. You know, if you're playing in, in hot conditions, I don't care whether you're conditioned by living in that country, you should be allowed five substitutions. Yeah, that's a bit of genius. I'm all over that. Cool. Um, uh, Rob Warner, uh, hello Rob, uh, would abolish the rule that says Villa fans can't have anything nice, which I agree with. Um, <laughs> no, and, I like that rule. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm okay with it. And Dan would change the rule where Villa bottle it at the last minute. So uh, let's leave it there because there's a theme developing. <laughs> Um, I think overall we've come up with a load of rules here we've come up with more than 15 if we include your last answer there Chris and I think there's a handful of them that are completely common sense and there's no reason not to introduce them but I think it's also important to say at the end of a podcast like this that we do like football as it is for all its bad points There's there's things we would change overnight aren't there but we also bloody love it, don't we? We do. I feel like it's better just for talking about it. Yeah, yeah. We're a bit like an addict. Well, you know, <laughs> once you admit it, you're all right, aren't you? So yeah, I think for- yeah. In situations like this, it's better to admit that we know it's not perfect rather than you know just kind of trying to put down other sports. So the, yes, football could be better, but still bloody marvelous. Mm. I think I personally without going too deep about it, but I think that's where the sort of um, inherent distrust of VAR is because we know football is so broken, but we love it for all its ills. And the idea of achieving any sort of perfection in football is just ruinous, isn't it? You know, it's the, <laughs> it's the grey areas that make it make it good, that make it brilliant. But there you go. So if you just listen to this podcast, it's all nonsense. Uh, right, we shall see you next week. We're available in all the usual places, which are, Chris? Uh, FTBL5's pod on Twitter. Football5spodcast.com uh, <laughs> is the website. And uh, just search Football5's podcast on Facebook. Uh, yeah, I'll say the following words very, very quickly. The Styles Council coming soon. Yeah, uh, it is. Say goodbye, lads. Bye. Bye. See you there.